This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. For Catholic campus ministries across the nation, the unprecedented interruptions to both typical campus life and the traditional ways of ministering to young people have generated frustration and trials, but also the possibility for rethinking approaches to ministry in terms of what is possible and what is most important. My guest today works with Catholic campus ministries across the country to help them sustain and enrich their work with young adults and to meet the personal and spiritual needs of students in times certain and uncertain. Dr. Mike St. Pierre is Executive Director of the Catholic Campus Ministry Association, CCMA. The mission of his organization is to connect, equip, and inspire ministry professionals so that they can evangelize, catechize, and nourish the faith lives of students in private and public colleges and universities. In addition to his work in campus ministry leadership, Dr. St. Pierre also writes regularly on topics such as rest and focus, breaking from an over-reliance on digital media, and prayer, both on his blog at mightsaintpierre.com and in his book, The Five Habits of Prayerful People. Mike joins me, Leonard DiLorenzo, on Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life. And I'm very happy you're joining us, too. Mike St. Pierre, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lenny. Great to be here. Mike, it strikes me that when we were thinking about and talking about Catholic campus ministry, maybe the one part of that that we never really bring into question is the campus part. But of course, from March 2020 through the spring semester and into the fall of 2020, the campus part has actually become the piece that's most questionable. Some colleges and universities aren't gathering on campus or certainly being on campus is touch and go. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the particular challenges that have faced campus ministries in this time, The co- maybe you've heard of COVID, of the COVID era. <laughs> I have heard of COVID. And, uh, <laughs> and I think you're right. You know, it's the campus part that we've for so long taken for granted, you know, in higher education, because we've seen that as our bread and butter uh, product. And, and you know, we both know that's a changing landscape right now. And quote unquote, non-traditional learners are, are now an increasing demographic in higher ed. With that said, you know, most Catholic campus ministry takes place on campus, at least prior to COVID-19. And so whether we're talking about worship, spiritual direction, sacramental life, you need to be in person, at least to have a, a really full-bodied experience of that. So I think it's been, you know, really a bit of a gut check for most campuses around the country. And in terms of campus ministry, I think that they've shown, you know, incredible resilience and just creativity and, and risk-taking and, and just attempting a lot of new things to move ministry online. But you do miss a lot because you're not physically together. You know, you and I were talking about before we went live today, the dynamic of when you can't see the lower half of someone's face, right. when you are with them. I was given a talk recently to a, a Catholic high school, and um, it, it was difficult because I couldn't tell if they were smiling or if they were bored or, or whatever. <laughs> and it, it just felt like it was like about, you know, 65% there. Um, so that's when we are together. Um, it's at least we have eyes, which uh-huh. is, it, it counts for a lot. Um, 
But I think the campus piece has been, um, you know, there's a, a bit of sadness because we we really long to be together. We want to be in community and Catholic campus ministry just has so many opportunities to gather as a faith community and, and offer so much to any campus, whether it's a Catholic campus or a secular one. Uh, so, but that, yeah, that's an interesting uh, piece there. You know, what's lost when we don't, or at least we can't take for granted the campus aspect of things. You know, I find it, uh, I find it interesting that you mentioned, you know, clearly we can't see uh, people's mouths, their smiles uh, when we're wearing face masks and when we are in person, but at least we can see each other's eyes. And it, it just reminds me, it just kind of popped into my mind that in Dante's comedy, the thing that he mentions the most are eyes and smiles that like so much of the human person is communicated through those two things. So we have, we're kind of, even when we're in person, we're operating at like half uh, half capacity of like being able to see and really communicate with each other because we've got the eyes, but we don't have the smile, right? Or we That's don't right. have the, the look of boredom or we don't have the, the grimace. Um, so there's <laughs> something to that. And maybe that's something we will think about together, either you and me or others will think about going forward. But as you've been talking to campus ministers across the country in these past several months and kind of looking out across the landscape, what are some things that you've seen, some of the innovation and creativity among campus ministries as they've adjusted to this new situation? I think, Lenny, one thing that's interesting, you know, we'll talk about some of the creative, really, uh, I mean, just really, really creative. You have to just smile when you hear about the things people have been doing. But I think that that's come through some waves, mm. you know, maybe a little bit of grieving. And uh, initially, the first wave was, well, let's get back to normal. And then it was, well, what is normal? And then it was, well, maybe that's not going to happen for a while. And I know for CCMA, we've been helping people kind of reframe the conversation. And we've been asking, what does this make possible? Rather than when can we get back to normal? Because that, that can be a little bit of a, a zero sum game. When can we get back to normal? So we've been saying, what does this make possible? And now we're starting to ask people because they're getting tired of us asking that. <laughs> what, if we, what, what if we could start from scratch? And what if we could cast aside some of the crutches, you know, I put that in air quotes, right. that maybe we relied on that gave us a sense of quote unquote success. But what if they really weren't what we wanted to do? You know, a lot of ministries um, inherit things that have just always been happening. You know, on the parish side, think of parish bingo. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know a pastor who just wakes up in the morning and just loves <laughs> that he has parish bingo, but he inherited it and it's a source of revenue. So you just keep it limping along. Uh -huh. Campus ministries have some artifacts like that too. So we're saying, you know, what if we could start over? Um, there are a lot of things. I'll give you a couple uh, that are kind of high tech and then some that are, are high touch. So <laughs> Duke University, their Catholic center, they started celebrating outdoor mass in a parking garage hmm. and and whatever the ninja tactics were that the university agreed to that they had to get past this oh this stinks we're in a parking garage right. you know and just think liturgically that really does uh you know conjure an image yeah but i think once they did it they realized you know what we can do this mm -hmm. and not perhaps what we would want, but we can do this and have bigger numbers than uh, what would have otherwise been possible. So, so that's really interesting. Um, another example from a, a large uh, public university, Montclair State University in uh, Montclair, New Jersey, they really were very nimble early on. Uh, they have several Newman houses on, right on the perimeter of campus, and they were really nimble in terms of 
not just moving things online, but branding things online. So they did a whole series called Quarantine Catholics, hmm. where they had a series of conversations. They even went so far as to you know, have T-shirts printed. And, and I think the whole thing was, let's move beyond, oh, this isn't how it was before. And let's embrace something new and just see what God does with that. And now they're called Newman Knights. And so they have kind of a hybrid approach where they still have a healthy sacramental offering, albeit with a smaller attendance um, because of spacing and things like that. But they've been able to keep the things online that they learned how to do during the shutdown. And I think that they are embracing a, a new moment. Uh, and then a third example I'll give you from St. Francis uh, College in Joliet, Illinois. Um, they've, they've really had a hard time, a much smaller a ministry, much smaller staff, Catholic College. And uh, they have gone so far now as to just be in the quad and put up signs that say free listening. And they just free sit listening. out there, free listening. No free no hugs cost. anymore, because this, this is no. the thing, right? No free hugs, <laughs> but free listening. Yeah, That's right. And I think it's just this idea that, yes, we, we acknowledge that so much of what we're doing is online, mm-hmm. and uh, we hope it's not that way forever, but it is at least here for now. But we still need relationship. We still need community. And even if we don't have the full face, we'll take a conversation. And and I just think that's you know a wonderful example of going back to basics. Again, maybe um, casting aside some of the programs or the things that, that really filled a lot of schedules before and getting back to one-on-one accompaniment and relationship building. And uh, so there's a lot more examples I could give, but those yeah. are just three that I thought of this morning. I wonder, it might be helpful, you know, you mentioned of the three schools, you mentioned Duke, which is a private, private institution, non-Catholic, um, has a Catholic center, uh, Montclair, right, which is a, mm-hmm. uh, a public a public university, mm-hmm. a public college, but has a Newman Center. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, St. Francis, which is a Catholic institution. So could you, I don't know, could you just speak a little bit about maybe some of the structural differences between Catholic campus ministries at these different types of places, a Catholic institution, maybe a private institution that's not Catholic, and a uh, secular secular public school? Yeah, they're hugely different. So, I mean, a Catholic college has a, a broader mandate, you know, as you know, at, at the University of Notre Dame, I mean, a, a Catholic campus ministry's mandate is to really help every student on that campus be, I, it's so corny to say, but what's that phrase, you know, the best version of themselves, right. but but really to, to find flourishing as a spiritual person. Mm. So, you know, for a Catholic college, um, a, a good Catholic college will be very proud of its Catholic heritage and will really want to move students along in terms of discipleship. And they would welcome non-Catholic students. Right. And they would try to help those non-Catholic students if their Muslims become stronger Muslims, if their Jewish students become stronger Jews. Um, and so that's a different perspective. Um, I, I would say it's a patient, slow approach towards discipleship that acknowledges that you know, typically, if you have a religious charism uh, university, they'll probably lead with the values of the charism, you know, and use that as a soft front porch to welcome people in. So that's a it's it's difficult. It's really difficult in a Catholic setting. Um, then you have Newman centers uh, on typically public uh, campuses, and uh, they're either right on the campus or they're on the periphery. And these are really catering towards the Catholic students. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that one's more difficult or easier than the other, but their scope is more narrow. So yeah. in Newman Center, they they just don't have a mandate uh, to minister to Jewish students or Muslim students or, or atheists, except to help them become Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, you know, it takes a, a bit of diplomacy and negotiating for them to 
become a key part of the fabric of that university. And a good university will understand that we should want good Jewish student associations and Catholic student associations right. and et cetera. Um, you know, the example from uh, the, the upper tier colleges and, and religious um, organizations is, I've heard it put this way, you know, they, they look at uh, a strong Catholic center as it's like a cute dog on the other side of the fence. You know, we, we love seeing you. You're adorable. Don't make too much noise, but we do like that you're here. Yeah. And, um, if you get so, in my yard, make sure you clean up after yourself, right? That's, that's, that's right. Yeah. It's cool that we're near one another. Right. Uh, let's keep it that way. You know, so it is different. You know, there's, there's just over 3,000 four-year uh, universities in the United States and about 1,200 community colleges and this is, while I believe Catholic campus ministry is a real success story in the church today, with that said, it's only on a quarter of the nation's four-year campuses. Huh. And, of, and of that, around 200 are Catholic colleges. So okay. there's still a lot of work to be done. Sure. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Dr. Mike St. Pierre, Executive Director of the Catholic Campus Ministry Association and author of The Five Habits of Prayerful People. So, Mike, before the COVID-19 apocalypse, maybe it's not the apocalypse, but before COVID-19, I mean, you were certainly paying attention to and working on various aspects of campus ministry with different institutions all across the country. What were some of the concerns you had about the state of campus ministry then? What were some of the things you were excited about? Because I imagine you're still concerned about those things and still excited about those things. COVID-19 is in everything, even though it is a, a major interruption or shift. I think one thing that's held, you know, steady before and after is the ability to focus. Mm. And uh, and I don't just mean like in terms of attention, but what are we really doing this for? And uh, I, I think that the campus ministries, and we have a book coming out in the next few weeks on 15 uh, Catholic campus ministries around the country. But what almost universally they have in common is the ability to clarify a name. Why are they doing campus ministry and, and how is it specifically Catholic? And how do the things we do on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, how do they feed into that? So I think that that is, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful story on the campuses that have taken the time to do that discernment and then clarify it. With that said, it's always a little bit of a attention to manage rather than a problem to solve. So, mm. you know, I guess maybe I'm just saying it this way, rather than go a mile wide and an inch deep, it's better for a Catholic campus ministry to focus on the basics. Um, here's one example. So the University of Maryland, their Catholic center, they are very intentional about the start of the school year in a non-pandemic year uh, of getting students involved in small groups. And so they do very little programming for the first month or five weeks of the academic year. And the one thing that they only do two things, Sunday masses, and they get students involved in small groups. That takes clarity. That takes um, discipline you know, the ability not to, to do the know, other right, things, right? right? Yeah, a lot that's of discipline. That's right, right. Yeah. That's right. So I think that, you know, and, and I would say implied in that is this focus on Christ. Mm. And so, you know, the, the really, the programs that are thriving, they have a profound emphasis on Jesus. They use the name Jesus often. It's part of their vocabulary. They are, they're proud of that. And so... It's not that I don't know any campus ministry that's not proud of Jesus and doesn't want students to come to know Christ better. But there's a difference between really going for it, you know, and swinging for the fences, to use a baseball metaphor, and just, you know, kind yeah. of ha having the Lord around. And so the, to me, that's about focus and, like you said, discipline and then building a ministry that can really support that focus. Yeah. Well, I mean, colleges and universities were facing some 
financial strains before the pandemic, but certainly the financial concerns have become much more severe. And a lot of colleges and universities are going to be facing very difficult choices in the months and years to come. So as you know, university administrators look at everything that's being offered, especially for uh, those schools where campus ministries are coming out of the budget of the school, right, being supported there. What is the what is the argument, or what is the the case to be made to these schools to not not draw back from campus ministry, but to sustain this and maybe even to to reinvest in these efforts? I think some of the the lessons learned are about marketing, believe it or not. Hmm. And uh, you know, a good ministry sells its story up the flagpole. Uh, so that when tough times come, because they they come, you know, whether it's the pandemic or it's whatever, um, what you don't want is the university administrators or whomever it is, you know, to say, hmm, Catholic campus ministry, if they have to really think hard, you know, about should we cut the budget or not, we probably haven't done a good enough job selling the story from a marketing standpoint. So what does that mean? It means Catholic campus ministers need to be really involved, you know, in the life of the university, whether it's committee work or just being present, forming relationships. It means that their annual report, their impact report needs to be something that's just part of what they do, even at a Catholic institution, because it's a symbol of progress. It's a symbol of legitimacy. Mm. Um, And, you know, an impact report or an annual report it can say whatever you want it to say. You know, the one thing you can't have is you can't have no impact report. Right. So I think that that's a part of it is there needs to be a preemptive, steady dripping of marketing to sell your, your product. But for the university side, I mean, look, it is much easier to hire a new basketball coach or to renovate a dorm. Um, those are all very expensive and I'm not saying they're easy to do, but that is doable. Uh, whereas Catholic campus ministry has a, a more blurry edge, but has much more impact. And so, you know, I know that the shiny objects of campus life are the new student center, the mm-hmm. new dorm, the new whatever that has a beginning and an end and it has a roof and, you know, it has clear measurables. Catholic campus ministry, though, I mean, for for Catholic institutions in particular, I I believe it's, it's a moral obligation to increase funding more than ever. Um, because if we're decreasing funding for faith formation, then what are we doing? You know, and when I hear of, you know, Catholic campus ministers who are being furloughed or their, their programs are being eliminated, I would invite that university administrator. And I have, I would say, are you doing the same for the volleyball coaching staff? Are you doing the same for, okay, wait for it. The head football staff, you know, we'll edit that Uh, out when we, we'll edit that out. Sure. (laughs) We have local listeners, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I mean, really, you know, because if we're really not serious about our calendaring and our budgeting for faith formation, then that's just an invitation for us to say, how serious are we about the Catholic mission? So, I mean, on the Catholic side, that's a reality. On the diocesan side, because a lot of Newman centers are funded through their diocese and through their their capital campaigns, not their capital campaigns, but their bishop's annual appeal, typically, yes. that's all the more reason to have a strong, and I mean really strong relationship with the chancery and with your bishop, to be inviting your bishop regularly to your Newman Center so that he has an emotional connection to what's happening there. So that, again, when times get tough or the belt has to be tightened, they'll at least think twice, you know, and they'll say, gosh, I, I can't imagine if we didn't have that ministry in our diocese because right. they're propelling, they really are propelling people into parishes. They're propelling young adults into parish life. So if we cut this, that's going to impact our parishes. So that's, you know, a part of the story as well. It's just that 
that feeding ground into parish life. Yeah. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. My guest is Dr. Mike St. Pierre, Executive Director of the Catholic Campus Ministry Association, author of The Five Habits of Prayerful People. So you're just mentioning, you know, the work with young adults. Obviously, this is the the demographic for uh, campus ministries, whether it's undergraduate students or even or graduate students. Most of them are would classify as young adults, let's say. Have you seen changes in the kind of ministerial needs for young adults in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years? Are there things that are being focused on, emphasized, uh, required now that are slightly different than what was there a decade ago? Yeah, definitely. I would say there's three things that come to mind. So one is just the the level of isolation that young adults are talking about uh, empirically and, and just you know, in casual conversation, it's very real. And it's not surprised that the pandemic has exacerbated that. You know, we're asking students, graduate students, undergrads, to spend their whole day online learning. And then sometimes we're asking them to live their spiritual lives online. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you have uh, quarantining taking place, we're asking them to eat their meals in their rooms by themselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can have all the grit and resiliency in the world. That's pretty lonely. So I would say that is a real thing. The other two things that we've seen from data are, uh, unfortunately, you know, a predominant uh, addiction to pornography, uh, in particular with males, although not exclusively. And then the issue of mental health is has really exploded across the country on every campus that, that I've spoken with. We're talking about loneliness. We're talking about high levels of anxiety, um, sometimes more serious than that. And so some campuses are investing more than ever in terms of their counseling departments, in terms of a Catholic lens of counseling, which is unique. So those three things really stand out to me, you know, pornography addiction, mental health issues, and just this underlying sense of isolation. So you, you mentioned, Mike, the, the um, increased prevalence of these three particular issues, the levels of isolation, as you said, the addiction to pornography, more widespread, and uh, various issues of mental health. So what kind of changes are these uh, leading to within campus ministries themselves and the way in which ministers are doing their work? So on the mental health piece, it's actually been a bit of a bridge, you know, for a lot of campus ministries to the rest of the university, because universities, they can't afford to have students who are unhappy, depressed, not graduating on time. So they've invested a lot, whatever the university is, in terms of just helping to identify what are the signs of a mental health struggle, and then how do we help students build that flexibility to to adapt to the challenges of of young people. So it's actually been a bridge for a lot of campus ministries because they aren't experts in helping a young person who's showing signs of depression, but they have people on their campuses who are experts. So that's been, in a way, a good thing because it forces a stronger relationship between student life and counseling and campus ministry. On the pornography front, that's where I think Catholic campus ministry still has a lot of room to grow. Um, but every priest that I've talked to, they've said, look, if I had a dollar for every time a guy's come into the confessional and confess looking at porn, they'd be wealthy, you know? So it's very real. I think it's an area that, uh, priests, you know, it's a nervous topic. Nobody wants to preach about pornography. So they're still trying to find ways to address it. Um, some campuses do a great job with small groups that help guys in particular with pornography addiction and whether they're called fight clubs or they have other Mm -hmm. kind of clever names, um, there is a, there's an accountability aspect that's very powerful. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of campuses are just, they're retooling and they're getting smarter at helping guys to see. Sometimes it's not just a spiritual issue. You know, it's almost like smoking cigarettes. Once they grab hold of you, 
you know, you can pray a million rosaries and it could be that you need other things to help you yeah. with that. So, and that's sometimes um, even more harmful, right? Is to just make it into a spiritual issue because it, it somehow, it, it increases the anxiety and the feelings of guilt and it kind of puts you deeper and deeper into a hole when, as you're mentioning, like right. sometimes you need, you know, professional counseling. You need, you need these very practical things like a support group and filters right. on your computer. And those are related to the spiritual life, but not reduced to right. them. So anyways, sorry. To no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and what you don't want is you don't want a student to be swimming in shame. Exactly. You know? So where a student says, I, I struggle with X, Y, or Z. So that must mean I just, that's who I am. And I'm just an awful human. Right. And this is, this is this awful really, really vicious uh, cycle that can happen. So, so there is a lot more work to be done there. On the isolation front, Lenny, I, I think that the, the bread and butter aspects of Catholic campus ministry are more important than ever. You know, going on a retreat with other humans <laughs> where you can give yourself permission to turn your phone off. I mean, ridiculously powerful. One-on-one right. -on -one spiritual direction, hopefully in person, very, very powerful, you know, and just the sense of, oh, I'm not alone, you know, and here's somebody that I can count on once a month to talk to who encourages me and prays with me. Very, very powerful, you know, and I don't, I don't have the data at my fingertips, but I think I've seen that, you know, just one or, or two caring adults in a young person's life can make all the difference, you know, from them being really alone to being active members in a faith community. You're talking there about kind of focusing on the fundamentals, which echoes something you were saying before, that the most successful campus ministries have a kind of laser focus, and that focus is on very fundamental things. And I mean, what is more fundamental to the life of faith than the habits of prayer? So I want to, you know, before we we close up our time here, I want to talk a little bit about some of the work you've done in um, not only developing your own prayer, but helping to guide others into kind of deepening and setting a foundation of prayer in their own lives. So uh, you've written a book, Five Habits of Prayerful People. I was wondering, can you give us a little bit of a, of a glimpse into what some of these habits or dispositions are? Sure. Yeah. I mean, essentially the book is, is built on this. We know, I don't know a Catholic who doesn't think that prayer is important. Mm -hmm. And I don't know a Catholic who doesn't know how to say prayers. Um, and the church has this incredible reservoir of resources on prayer and role models in prayer and teachings on prayer. The gap is we don't, actually teach people how to pray. Mm. And I know that sounds like a, a bit of a hand grenade to drop, but I believe it's true. And I think that we take for granted that if you say prayers for a decade or two or three, that that actually makes you a prayerful person. And on some levels, it does. I don't want to minimize at all liturgical prayer or formal or public prayers. But <laughs> if we study the saints, you know, every single one of them, women and men, old and young, they had a daily time of prayer. It was a ritual that they were faithful to, and they really felt like the Lord met them there. So I contend in the book, we don't have a problem of theology. We have a problem of methodology. And so the book just tries to give people permission to try out different forms of prayer. That reminds me of a, a, a short book I read on somebody just did research into the sort of daily habits of some of the most creative people in history and all their habits in some ways were different, but the thing that was common is they had habits, right? Like they had times when they did certain things and there was a routine of it. So, I mean, as you're talking about the prayer life of the saints, the rules might have been different in each one, but they each had a rule, right? right. This daily, right. daily habit, the methodology, as you say. So Mike, the time flies when we're talking about things like this. So we've come to the end of our time. I just want to thank you for spending this time with me on Church Life Today. 
It's great to be here, Lenny. I always uh, appreciate the work you guys do. I'm a big fan, as you know. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Talk to you next time. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners.